0: All right, welcome into another edition of the Nick Bob Podcast live from the AOI Studios, aka my basement office. You know what's awesome? Sitting courtside at Hinkle Fieldhouse calling a top 20 matchup Seton Hall and Butler. But you know what isn't awesome? The chair I sat in at Hinkle Field House. You know what chair is awesome? The chair I'm currently sitting in that the good folks at AOI hooked me up with, the Aeron chair from Herman Miller. love this chair. I can do long two-hour podcasts with Bo Rude. feel great the entire time. I can watch film and do game prep and feel awesome the entire time because this chair is great, man. It's mastered with the latest research around the science of sitting, advancements in materials, manufacturing, and technology. If you are looking for... Some new office chairs for your business or just a new chair for your home office. You got to check out the Aeron from Herman Miller. Check out AOI online at AOICorp.com. That's AOICorp.com or give them a call. 402-896-5520. That's 896-5520. Remember, reminder, remember, reminder, remember, reminder. Subscribe to the podcast. Pretty simple. just click that subscribe button. Just click it, boom. That way, anytime I drop a new pod, boom, it's on your phone waiting for you. Really helps me out, and it helps you out, man. Make sure you never miss an episode. So you just just hit play. It's on your phone, and you're off and running. So subscribe to the podcast while you're at it. Leave a five-star rating and leave a review. I appreciate it. On the pod today, we're hoops heavy, all right? We're hoops heavy. I want to talk a little national college basketball stuff. You know, with college football season officially over, Shouts out to Joe Burrow. By the way, the picture of him smoking a cigar in his pads after winning a national title might be the fucking coolest picture I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Seriously, that's the coolest picture I've ever seen. But uh, with, with college football season over, college basketball starts to get a little bit more attention for some people. So I want to give you my... I went down and I went through the top 10, 15, 20 teams, and I wrote down the six teams that I love. Me personally, just the six teams that I I feel good about, you know, kind of like hitching my wagon to and being like, these are teams that I think are good enough to win the whole damn thing. I also give you my Big East power rankings. I'm going to tell you why I think Fred Hoiberg is actually kind of impressing me this year. But we have to start with Creighton. All things considered, Creighton's win over Providence was one of the craziest games in a while for the Jays. So just trying to set the stage for everything that happened. Marcus Zagorowski got sick right before the game. Uh, I I went to shoot around just like four hours before tip. Marcus Zagorowski looked fine, went through shoot around, totally looked fine. And all of a sudden got really dizzy, could barely stand in the locker room. And so all of a sudden, right before the game starts, Zegarowski is struggling. He didn't start. He he ultimately toughed it out and played uh, about 30 minutes or so. I guess I got the box score right here. He ultimately played 32 minutes, but didn't start. So you have that. Then at the end of the first half, Tyson Alexander hurts his knee, bang knees with Alpha Diallo, uh, Went to the back of the locker room, but then ultimately toughed it out, came back, finished the game. Kelvin Jones hurt his leg again in the second half and was out. Christian Bishop was in foul trouble. So Creighton had to play Denzel Mahoney and Damian Jefferson at the four and the five spot for the bulk of the second half against a Providence team that is a bad matchup because they're big and physical. And Creighton trailed Providence by five points with a minute 41 left. Things looked Really, really bleak for all the things that is laid out, and I mean you're trailing by five with a minute forty left. So what happens? Creighton proceeds to go on a nine-zero run to close out the game and win, including the game-winning three from Marcus Zagorowski, the guy who was dizzy and sick to start the game with about three seconds left. Unbelievable. When it was so, he, here's kind of. What happened after that minute 41 mark? So it was 74-69 with a minute 41 left to play. Denzel Mahoney just gave up a free throw uh, block out to Alpha Diallo or to David Duke, excuse me, and David Duke goes to the line, knocks down two free throws, 74-69, minute 41 left. So here's what happened. Tyson Alexander makes a three. Creighton gets a defensive stop. Tysha Alexander gets a little driving runner to go off the the glass. Tie ball game. Then Denzel Mahoney gets switched on to David Duke, who was the hottest guy in the gym at 36 points. Unbelievable display of individual defense from Denzel Mahoney. Ties up David Duke, gets a jump ball, possession arrow, Creighton. Ensuing possession, Marcus Zagorowski pull up three, bottoms. Then Providence turns the ball over. Tyson Alexander goes one of two from the free throw line ballgame. Unbelievable. Unbelievable sequence. One of those games where all of a sudden you're, you're walking out of the arena going, how the hell did Creighton win that game? But that's a big win for the Blue Jays. All things working against Creighton. Like Zagorowski under the weather. Tyson Alexander gets hurt. Kelvin Jones goes down. Christian Bishop in foul trouble against a Providence team that is a really, really bad matchup for, for the Blue Jays because of their size and physicality. And for Creighton to fight and scrap and claw and gut out a win is huge. Every game is going to be a war in the Big East, and you got to protect your home floor. Creighton has already dropped a, a home game to Villanova. Would have been a big blow to drop another home game, but Creighton found a way. And I said it in the preview podcast for when I, all the way back in October, and I was previewing the season for the Blue Jays. A huge part of this season is going to be how Creighton does in those close games. What happens in close games? Because last year, ultimately, the difference between Creighton going to the NIT or could have maybe gone to the NSA tournament was how they fared in close games. They were bad in close games. And oftentimes, winning the close games comes down to getting stops, having guys be able to win one-on-one offensively, and confidence. Well, at least for that game, Providence game, Creighton got stops and they needed it. Guys like Denzel Mahoney, Tyson Alexander, uh, Marcus Zagorowski were able to win one-on-one offensively. And finding a way to win... You know, close games like that is is huge for your confidence. It's huge. And it's been a it's been a mixed bag this year with close games for Creighton and closing them out. You know, you look at it, it's like, okay, Louisiana Tech, close game, closed it out, one. Texas Tech, close game, closed it out, one. At Arizona State, close game, closed it out, one. At Butler, couldn't get the job done, lost. Villanova at home, couldn't get the job done, lost. At Xavier, closed it out, won. At Georgetown, couldn't get the job done, lost. Providence, closed it out, won. So Creighton right now in what I consider to be pretty close games, like maybe the final score didn't necessarily indicate it, but it was it was right there late, could have maybe gone either way. Creighton in what I consider to be close games is 5-3 this season. And obviously, if you're Creighton, you want to win every game. But 5-3 and three through mid-January in close games, considering Creighton's played a pretty tough schedule, is is strides in the right direction from a year ago. No doubt about it. And you better believe Creighton is going to be in a bunch more close games. And being able to have you know, an emotional, exciting win like the, the finish over Providence can really be a spark to build on that confidence when Creighton is in another close game. I'm telling you, that stuff matters. Being able to reference back and say, hey, we've been in this spot before and we've emerged victorious. It's important. Instead, last year, that internal dialogue was always, oh God, we've been in this spot before and we've kind of pissed it away and and lost. And The demons of doubt creep in, but games and finishes like the Providence win can kill those demons and start to build confidence. What a finish. What a game. Huge for Creighton's confidence moving forward in those those tight contests. So uh, I want to shift to talk a little Nebraska basketball. Nebraska's lost three games in a row. And oddly enough, in my mind, it doesn't feel like the sky is falling right now. That's just me. I can't speak for you. I can't speak for how... Your your feeling right now, I, I can just tell you, it doesn't feel like the sky is falling right now. I mean, the main reason for that is I don't think anyone expected much heading into this year, and when the season saw home losses to UC Riverside, Southern Utah, and North Dakota, I think that obviously impacts and sets an expectation level for what you're about to see. But the reason I don't feel terrible about Nebraska basketball right now is I can confidently say this team is improving playing playing with a purpose, playing much better basketball with intelligence and effort. And this team is figuring out how they want to play and what gives them the best chance to win. And it was going to take some time, you know. I mean, for Coach Hoiberg and the staff to figure out what lineups, combinations, styles, what hurts them, what they're good at, what they're not good at. And I think this team's starting to figure out, even though they've been losing, you might be going, Nick, they've lost. But I think there's a clear blueprint for how they want to play defensively, how they want to operate offensively. This This season was always about the future and what things can and hopefully will be. Whether that is from a style standpoint, looking on the floor and seeing what things could look like, in terms of an identity, a player standpoint, looking on the floor and seeing some individual players that have some potential moving forward, or a coaching standpoint, seeing Fred Hoiberg and what he can do as a coach. And I want to expand on that last one for, for a second, the coaching standpoint of from of what we've seen. There are a lot of ways to, to gauge coaching, Right. Simple wins and losses and championships are obviously the big ones. But sometimes you got to look beyond that in the moment. Another way to gauge coaching is to look at the team, look at the roster, look at the situation, and simply ask yourself, is the coach maximizing the collective talent and roster? is the coach getting the most out of a team given the situation they are in? And I actually think Fred Hoiberg right now, given the situation at hand, is doing a good job getting just about the most he can out of the roster and situation he has in front of him. I really believe that. And while the record would maybe indicate otherwise, Nebraska is 7-11 right now, I think when you take into consideration the physical makeup of the roster, freshmen, junior colleges, junior college transfers, uh, low-major transfers, walk on turn, scally freshman and charlie easley and that Fred Hoiberg's in the deepest conference in the country this year, the Big Ten. I actually think Hoiberg is getting quite a bit out of this roster and situation. He's figured out what gives this team the best chance to win. He's getting those guys to buy into it. And they are playing with such a higher level of intelligence right now compared to what you saw on the floor in November. They are just limited, man. They are. They're just limited. Their margin for error is razor thin. Listen, they have to almost be perfect to even give themselves a chance to win. Most teams, if, if they you know play perfect, they beat the shit out of a team, right? Like if, if they play perfect, they win by 20. They win by 15. They win by 25. Listen, man, the reality right now for Nebraska in the Big Ten, they almost have to be perfect just to be in the game. I think Fred Hoiberg is pressing a lot of the right buttons. There is just a reality to the situation with the fact that it's a brand new roster full of inexperienced guys and it's year one of this new staff. And again, they're in the Big Ten. So, to be honest with you, one of my concerns about Fred Hoiberg was okay, like, yeah, he, he can coach and win games when he's loaded with talent and pros. But what about when he maybe has lesser talent? How, how good is he then? Because at Iowa State, They were really, really, really talented. So, even though I was a believer in Hoiberg, and I'm obviously still a believer in Hoiberg, if I had to muster up a question, that would probably be it. How good of a coach is Fred Hoiberg when he doesn't have pros on the floor? You know, like, how good is he? And to me, he's proven quite a bit this year in that regard. So that there's a lot of ways to gauge how a coach is doing. And looking at the situation and roster and 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 simply saying, "Okay, is he maximizing?" I think sometimes is a good way to look at it. In fact, to take it a step further, like I I've, I've told this to Greg McDermott before. I have like literally sat down and said this to his face. I thought Greg McDermott's most impressive year as a head coach at Creighton was actually the year he had his worst record in his time at Creighton. It was the 2014-2015 season. Creighton was 14-19 and that season. It was the year after Doug McDermott and the boys all left, and he had a roster that, let's be honest, just wasn't very talented. It was a bunch of guys that were recruited to play in the Missouri Valley Conference, and now they are in the Big East Conference. Instead of playing Evansville, you're playing Villanova. Instead of playing Drake, you're playing Georgetown. I thought Greg McDermott did an incredible job that year. He coached his ass off. Every single game that season, when you lined up guy for guy, roster versus roster, the other team had the better player, had the the deeper bench. That like they were more, the, the other team was more talented. Every every single game that year in the Big East, and Coach McDermott coached his butt off that year he gave those guys the best possible game plan every night to even give themselves a chance to be in the game and more often than not that year they were right there in the game late against teams they had and I'm telling you they had no business being in games with a lot of those teams and oftentimes in the final four minutes reality would set in and they just weren't talented enough to win but that season I'm just telling you that season at its conclusion, I felt more confident in Greg McDermott as a head coach after that year than I did before. Like I was like, and I and I was a believer before, obviously, but I walked through, I was like, hey, "This dude's coaches ass off," simply because I looked at the roster and I looked at the situation and I said, "Is he maximizing?" And to me, that answer was a resounding yes. And I think Hoyberg is doing a lot of the same things this year. And. What I'm about to say, this isn't meant to be a shot at Tim Miles or disrespectful because, you know, Tim Miles is good to me and I like Tim. But Tim Miles didn't maximize his team last year or his team the year after they went to the NCAA tournament, period. I mean, think about The team that went, remember the team, Petaway, Pitchford, all those guys, the team that went to the NCAA tournament, They returned pretty much everybody. Everybody. And they went 13-18 and the following year. That's not maximizing. And last year's team, last year's team, James Palmer, all Big Ten guard, great scorer. Glenn Watson, four-year starting point guard who's really talented. Isaiah Roby, pro, drafted. And Isaac Copeland, who was healthy for, you know, the half the year because let's be honest the the, the tailspin kind of started before Copeland was going went down. But Copeland, super talented 69 senior. That team underachieved. They went 6 and 14 in conference play and finished 13th in the Big 10. They flat out underachieved. So that like you got to look at all those things. So that's kind of where I'm at with Nebraska basketball. Sure, they've lost three in a row. But I can confidently say they are improving. They are playing with a plan, much more intelligence. And given the roster makeup and situation, I think Fred Hoiberg is doing a pretty good job maximizing. I really do. We'll see if the the Huskers can continue to fight and improve as the year progresses. All right, I told you I wanted to say stay relatively consistent with this. So I want to give you my Big East power rankings right now before I get into some national college basketball stuff. So, I mean, this league's just nuts, man. It's 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 like I said, it's not the you know I think the Big Ten is the deepest conference, but man, I, there there are no bad teams in the Big East, none, none. And so each, each game is just a war, right? Like, it's just a war. But here are my Big East Power Rankings as of January 19. Number one, Seton Hall. I, I'm not moving off this. I think they're a top 10 team in the country. I think they're, they're really good. I had them against Butler uh, earlier this week. I, I think this team is outstanding. Uh, they're all bought into their roles. Uh, miles Powell's one of the best guards in the country he's he's probably cruising towards being potentially the national player of the year I think Seton Hall's the best team in the country or the best team in the big east and I actually think there's like a gap after Seton Hall and the rest of the crew so I go Seton Hall one Villanova two they're continuing to find ways to win one in overtime against DePaul beat UConn uh you know a young group that's still trying to find themselves and figure out the balance between threes and and points in the paint but that that group's continuing to get better. At three, I got Butler. Even though they lost two games this week, they lost at DePaul and they lost uh, to Seton Hall. Obviously, the game that I had. Uh, but listen, I'm not. I'm not going to freak out. You know, like I'm not. Oh, Butler's awful. No, come on. Lost a really close game to Seton Hall that could have gone either way. And listen, DePaul's not bad. Not bad at all. Killed Iowa. Beat Texas Tech. won at Minnesota. It's not a bad team. But I got Butler at three. Uh, at four, I got Creighton. Uh, I, I think they're uh, – the one thing that I like is that they're uh, – I think you're starting to see Denzel Mahoney get more and more comfortable. You, and he's an important part to what they're doing. You know, you – listen, Zegarowski hit the game winner against Providence. Tyson Alexander was a stud. Mitch Ballack uh, you know, bombs all game. But don't kid yourself. Creighton doesn't beat Butler without – or doesn't – Creighton doesn't beat Providence without Denzel Mahoney. Period. His versatility on both ends of the floor, being able to guard forwards and guards, being able to stretch the defense and drive the ball and post. Up. I mean, he's really good. So I got Crate to four. At five, I got Providence, a um, I, I, big physical team. They're starting to get it going a little bit. At six, I got Marquette, Marcus Howard. He had 42 in a win against Georgetown. I mean, for the love of God, the guy's crazy. At seven, I got DePaul. And yes, I, I, I mean, th- stop and think about what DePaul here. They they lost in the final minute to Seton Hall, they lost in overtime to Villanova, they lost at with point .1 seconds left to Providence with the Nate Watson free throw. <coughs> like they're 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 close to being like four and one, and then they you know they smacked Butler, which doesn't really surprise me at all. But I got DePaul at seven, eight. I got Georgetown, uh, nine. I got St. John's, and at ten I got Xavier. Xavier Xavier's uh, struggling right now. Yeah, you know, they're they're having uh they're they're having some some tough practices in Cincinnati right now. They got lost to Creighton, uh, got blasted at Marquette. They're 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 struggling right now, but those are my Big East power rankings as of January nineteenth. Seton Hall one, Nova two, Butler three, Creighton four, Providence five, Marquette six, seven DePaul eight, Georgetown nine, Saint John's ten, Xavier. Let me take a drink of water before we get into this co- this national college basketball stuff. Okay, do you realize this is crazy to me? And when I saw, I saw this from Rothstein actually, John Rothstein actually tweeted, I was like, damn. You realize that eight weeks from today, I'm taping this on January 19th, Sunday, January 19th, eight weeks from today, we'll be holding an NCAA tournament bracket. Eight weeks. Like that, that's crazy to me. And like I said, with college, ba- college football officially ending, I know this is when college basketball can start to kind of gather more and more attention. So what, what I, what I kind of did is I, I, I pulled up Ken Palm and pulled up the rankings, and I went through, and I'm like going through teams. I'm like, don't buy that team. Love that team. Eh, I kind of like that team. that team. Don't buy that team. Don't buy that team. Really like that team. Went through. And I, and I arrived at about 10 teams. I wrote down si- there were six teams that I love that I think are good enough to win the whole thing. And then there are four teams that I really like that are just on the outside of my top six. So here we go. Here here are the six teams that I I think are really good. And you're going to see a theme. I like teams that have an excellent lead guard. That's a a big thing for me. So here we go. No particular order here. here. Here are the six teams. Number one, Michigan State. I get it, man. I I, I get it they, they've gotten off to kind of a slow, disappointing start. They've had a few clunkers, but when push comes to shove, a Cassius Winston-led team in March is a team that is to be reckoned with. When this team hooks it up and puts it together, you're like, oh shit, that's a good team. That that Michigan State seventh and Ken Palm, and again, when they hook it up, man, they're really good. And again. Cassius Winston is a stud. And and so I like to kind of hitch my wagon to guys like that. That I want you to really think about, you know, March sweet 16 game, you know, five minutes left. It's a two point game. Like who do you who do you really like with the rock in that spot? So I know you can talk yourself into this team or that team. Hey, I tell you this team. Eh, what what's there? They got a stud guard that you like? Because that's a big deal. Cassius Winston, I feel comfortable with The Rock in that scenario. So I got Michigan State. Uh, the next team I have is Kansas. Best coach in the country in Bill Self. Shouts out to Bill Self. Probably the most balanced team in terms of an inside-outside attack. They got great guards, got a great big in Azebuki. Uh Dotson at the point guards, a guy that I trust with The Rock, man. They're number one in Ken Palm. They are number one in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. And you know, I just I like their role players a lot. Isaiah Moss is shooting the rock. Uh, Abaji's a really athletic wing. Marcus Garrett's kind of a Swiss Army knife guy. If if the tournament started today and I had to pick one team, I'd pick Kansas. So I got KU. Uh, next team I got is Duke. This is a uh, this is an old school Duke team. You the last handful of years have been a little bit different. Like, two years ago, they were playing a lot of zone. Last year, it was, it was kind of an interesting roster makeup, the Zion-RJ team. This is an old-school Duke team. Like, get out, dog you on D, deny wing passes, play hard. Duke is number two in Ken Palm. Right now, Trey Jones is a guy that I trust with the Rock late in it in in the game in in March. Experienced point guard, elite defender. They got size with Vernon Carey. They're really athletic on the wing. I like this team. Next team I got is Oregon. Listen, man, Dana Altman's crew is really good. They're long, they're athletic, they're hard to play against because they control tempo and change defenses. That that matchup zone is tricky. They got linked at the rim to contest everything. And listen, man, Peyton Pritchard is the best player nobody talks about. He's in the national player of the year race. Like, Peyton Pritchard is in my top five. I want that guy on my team in a big game in March, players in the country. Clutch, tough, can score, he's smart. I love that dude. I really, really trust him in big spots. I really trust him in big spots. He's a really good player. And that's what winning in March is about. Like you got to have, you got to have a lead guard that is, is, is that kind of a player. So I like this Oregon team. Next time I got a Seton Hall. Again, like I told you, I had Seton Hall earlier this week. I was on the call with Tim Brando and FS1 at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And Seton Hall beat Butler. It was, it had a March feel to it. This is a, to me, this is a Final Four caliber team. They have a guy who I think is on his way to to being the national player of the year in Miles Powell. Stud. Great score, tough, can score in a bunch of different ways. Transition, threes, ball screens, drives, free throws, mid range. Like, plus, like th- they're a team you got to see in person to really get a sense of for it. Like they are freaky long and athletic at the rim. They're top 10 in the country in blocks. So getting easy baskets in the paint against them is really hard. Romaro Gill leads the way in that regard. 7-2 is just unbelievable blocking shots. And he's improved as a scorer. He's now a threat in pick and rolls and finishes at the rim. Like, last year, Seton Hall was a one-man show. It was all Miles Powell, and that was it. Not this year. This year, they're way better around him. They are really bought into their roles. There's nobody fighting their role or selfish right now. They've won eight in a row without their second best player in Kalashvili. And he's coming back in about two weeks. I really like this Seton Hall team. And then the last of the teams that I, that I really, really like and think are good enough, really, really love and, and are good enough to win the whole thing would be Dayton. man don't adjust your, your pod, don't rewind. I said Dayton. Dayton, the Flyers have lost two games, both in overtime to Kansas and Maui and Colorado, who's pretty good. And this is how it always goes. People are going to forget about Dayton because they aren't in a power conference, and I'm telling you, don't forget about them. Just do yourself, just turn on their games. You know, look it up. Like, go to your DVR, find your schedule. Like, just try watching play. They passed the eye test. They, they pass the eye test. They got a top 10 pick in Obi Toppin, 6'9, freaky athlete, 19 points per game, seven rebounds, great player. <laughs> and then it's just a bunch of junkyard, tough juniors and seniors around him. They're fifth in Ken Palm. I like this team a lot. Anthony Grant's coach. He, he's a, a more experienced guy than you think. Again, they pass the eye test. And again, you got a, I mean, you got a top 10 lottery pick in Obi Toppin. So those are the six teams that I love and I think are good enough to win it all. Then there are, the, are four teams here that, I, that I, I really like. They're really good teams. But they're, they're just like a cut below. There's, always, there's just something about these next four teams that like I, I really like, but I don't know what it is. Like, there's something that's just kind of holding me back from really falling in love. The, 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 we'll start with Baylor. Really impressive so far. I mean, how could you? I mean, the fifteen and one, only losses to Washington on a neutral floor in the second game of the season. They've won thirteen in a row. That zone is tough to deal with, even though they mix it up a little bit more this year. They're fourth in Ken Palm defensive efficiency, third overall in Ken Palm. I like this team a lot. I just don't know again if they have a guard that I totally trust in a big spot. You know, I gave that scenario. I want you to think about, you know, you're, you're turning on a game, Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteen. Like, I just don't know if Baylor's got a guard that I really trust. But this team's really good. So I'd, I'd have Baylor. Next team would be Gonzaga. But really impressive job by Mark Few this year. I mean, they lost a whole bunch. You know, Clark, Hachimura, uh, Perkins. That, like, they lost a bunch. And they're back rolling. Fourth in Ken Palm. Their only loss is to Michigan in the battle for Atlantis. And it, it's it's just tough now to get a great feel for the Zags because the West Coast Conference is just okay. But they're number one in Ken Palm offensive efficiency. They're versatile, they're smart, and they're really balanced. They have six guys averaging double figures. Seven average nine points per game or more. So they're a handful. Philip Petrusev is a stud, 6'11" euro big, who's skilled. But it's the same thing I said about Baylor. Do they have a lead guard who's lights out when it matters most? That's holding me back a little bit. The next team is San Diego State. Listen, man, they're undefeated. They're 19 and 0. They're 19 they've played 19 games, they've won them all. That matters. The other thing is, they passed the eye test, man. Super long, athletic, tough defensively. I like Malachi Flynn a lot. He leads the Aztecs in scoring. But again, I just, one of the things with them is I don't know how tested they are. They did beat Creighton and Iowa, which are both good wins. But they've played the fewest quadrant one teams of any top 10 team. So, like, that's the only thing that's maybe holding me back a little bit with them. How tested are they? I like what I see, but how tested are they? But, man, if they keep winning, like, come on, man. Like, winning is winning. And then the last team would be Louisville. And I'm throwing Louisville in here mostly out of respect for Chris Mack. I respect the hell out of him. He's an excellent coach. They just had a really nice road win at Cameron Indoor, beat Duke. I like Jordan Wara. Steven Enoch is a load inside. But again, like there's this one, there's a theme here with a lot of these. There's a theme with the teams that I like, and there's a theme with the teams that I like, but I can't fall in love with. Like they're average at the guard spot, man. They're average at the point guard spot. It's a big issue, obviously. But Jordan Wara and Chris Mack, that combination is enough for me to give Louisville a mention and some love. So there you go. It's there is no doubt there it's a down year overall in college basketball. But the these th- those 10 teams, and in particular those top 6 I mentioned, have emerged in my eyes as teams that I think are good enough to win the whole dang thing. Michigan State, Kansas, Duke, Oregon, Seton Hall and Dayton. Are, are the six teams that I like the most right now. Oh, man. Eight weeks from today, we're going to be holding the NCAA tournament bracket. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. All right, that'll do it for the pod. Uh, again, make sure you subscribe. G- give it a rating. Give it a review. And I, I again, I can't tell you enough. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you listening and supporting the pod. It means a ton. I love it when I'm out and about and people come to me, Nick, I love the pod. Like, I love that. I I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you listening and supporting the pod. Share it. You know, tell your friend about it. Tweet it out. You know, Facebook, all that stuff, man. Anything you can help to kind of grow the pod, man. I really, really appreciate it. Again, make sure you subscribe. All right, that'll do it for this pod. I will see you next time on the Nick Ba Pod. Production.